Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hi, this is comedian and depressed alcoholic James Nokise, and you're listening to Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower, a podcast about headspace and happiness. From my safe place, the shower with fried chicken. This episode, I'm talking to actor, comedian, and Billy T. James Award winner Angela Dravid. We'll talk about love. He reported me as an illegal immigrant. Um, that was when I was like, maybe this isn't going to work out. <laughs> Crime and punishment. Comedy came into it in prison waiting room and they were like, babe, what are you here for? And I said, well, I tried to kill my husband. And they found it really funny. And sex in the modern world. I think I lost my virginity to a banana. Some of this will get a bit real. The language, the subjects. So make sure you're in a safe space with your comfort food and join us eating fried chicken in the shower. What are we eating today? Um, we're eating KFC. Yes. Uh, why are we eating KFC? Uh, KFC is pretty close to my heart. Um, Cholesterol-wise, <laughs> <it's quick. laughs> um, <laughs> being how someone um, KFC is something you eat every Sunday after church, mm. um, every birthday, any excuse you need to have a family feast is a family feast bucket. What's What's your earliest memory of KFC? Um, I think straight after church. Yeah. Yeah, and it's always lukewarm, and the skin is just a little bit peeling off the chicken. Was it was it straight from K Fry, or did someone buy K Fry and bring it home and wrap it in tinfoil and put it in the oven to warm? Ah, no one warmed it. It was oh. in the bucket on the table for ages. That's <laughs> <laughs> dark. And then all the elders ate. And yeah, then yeah, the and then you eat as a kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, the elders always because the elders need to get the prime KFC. <laughs> yeah. And then you kids, you get the scrap KFC. Yeah. Is it a Samoan household you grew up in? Yeah. Yeah. Mum's Samoan. Dad's Indian. I guess the love of chicken combined them both. <laughs> <laughs> so, mum and dad met in Samoa. Mm-hmm. Then uh, went to India, got married. Um, and then they went traveling around because dad was an engineer. And he went to Oman. Mm-hmm. And I was born in Oman. Oh, wow. Yeah, so mum was nine months pregnant with me, um, went through the airport security, and the people at the border control didn't believe mum was from a country called Samoa. <laughs> yeah. They didn't have Google back then, I guess, so they couldn't Google the country. Um, and mum had to try and convince them that she was from this country called Samoa. The only reason why she got through was because some guy in the back office said, oh yeah, there's a wrestling team in the WWE, mm. or WWF, um, called the Wild Samoans. Yeah. Yeah. So your mum only got through customs because... Because of the Wild Samoans. See, wrestling has been helping the Pacific I know, community. yeah. You know some Samoan, don't Yeah, some. Like, um, Lalo Langi, um, 
tonight. <laughs> food. <laughs> hell, food, yeah. and yes. Yeah, I mean, so, if you know hell and you know food, you've yeah. got you've got the you basic got intro. You got pizza, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I also know those church songs as well. Yeah. There's also the the prayer that you do. Um. Oh, there was a time where I was babysitting everyone, mm. like when everyone went to peanut, uh, peanuts, uh, picnics. Yeah. Um, I'd be the kid who would look after all their other, all the kids, and I think for a time, I wanted to have children. Like mm. I wanted to have fifty-two children, so I could make an orchestra, <laughs> and. Um, and then I got married to this man who was 30 years older than me and kind of realized, um, I don't think he'd be alive for them. Because the story of, of you and your ex-husband, it's sort of the, it was your show. Yes. In the, in the Melbourne Comedy Festival and it showed a one year ability award here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like an amazing story. Because how old were you guys when you met? Uh, I was... I think I might have been 16 or 17 online. Yeah. And uh, I met him when I was 17 in real life. This is when I was in Australia. Right. Yeah. So dad was um, like not at home. Mm. He was always away. My nearest neighbor was like a 10 minute drive from me. So I was really isolated. Yeah, right. Yeah. Is that why you felt comfortable enough to leave, to go to the other side of the world? Because man, 16. I had nothing to yeah. gamble. Oh, nothing to lose, sorry. At those types of points in your life, death doesn't seem like a threat. It seems like part of life. So the worst thing that can happen to you is death, and death is going to happen anyway. So it gives you that blind courage to make moves that you probably wouldn't make under a rational headset. There's some fearlessness that comes from... Stupid bravado. Stupid bravado. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did you know you were going to marry him? No, no. Um, We were just going to meet each other and see how it went. Um, And then, I mean, it was a really nice, maybe two, three weeks. Um, And then, like, the realization sunk in that I'd have to leave. Mm -hmm. And I was just that kid who was like, I don't want to leave. Like, I've got nothing at home. Mm. So he's almost 50? When mm-hmm. you're... He, oh, almost 50 when we married. When yeah. you married. Yeah. 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 Oh, man, this is pretty brutal. I um, made a joke to Mike's husband that his dad turned me on and he never fully recovered from it. <laughs> his dad was, like, really funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was... I mean, if, the, if he was, like, his son's age, yeah. it would have been a better marriage. <laughs> Or maybe you were just setting your sights on someone too young. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I could never go with an older man now just because I... I was talking to a friend about this. Like, they just... Older men have a particular smell. Old Spice? It's, um... Musk? It's like, um, Dettol. <laughs> it's like a... If sepia had a smell. (laughs) Eating fried chicken in the shower, sharing meals and feelings, the Kiwi way. I was married for possibly like four four or five months. Right. Um, And then 
the offence happened, um, I attacked my ex-husband and he called the police on me and then was arrested and um, in the police cell for a couple of days. And then I was taken on remand into um, uh, HMP Bronzefield. I've known you for a while. We've done festivals together. I've never seen you violent. Yeah, it. I so I I do come from a violent family, and Mum hasn't been violent for so many years now. But I did grow up with a a very stereotypical Islander mum who would beat me, and um, like you kind of got over it with your cousins by comparing war wounds. You know, I sort <laughs> yeah. of feel like oh, I suffered the battle of untidy room in 95 you know that whole you kind of compare your bruises yeah. like oh that's nothing you know um your aunties when they tell you to look after their kids they like just smack him if he does anything mm. it's a very like you take on responsibility with that sort of thing so I, I have grown up with violence in my household um but i just never knew how to deal with anger and in this relationship I felt in a growing frustration with living in a new country, not having friends, um, not having a partner that I could talk to about cultural things either. Because in Islander Indian culture, your family is everything. Mm. Your life revolves around your family. Like my career is because I want to provide for my family, mm. but it's very, um, satellite orientated in a western world yeah so i felt like a huge frustration because i felt isolated and um i lashed out the only way i knew how which was when someone pisses you off or does something that you consider a violation you lash out and you hit them but in the interrogation room they said why did you do it and i said because he lacks discipline because I was reiterating my mum's words yeah, to me. Yeah, that is, that is Pacific Island, cold-blooded. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, I um, did it because I love him and he lacks discipline. I said that and I went to prison. Yeah. Do you, did, you, did you feel it like at the time? I don't think I realised how um, serious it was going to be. I kind of expected someone to be on my side in it and I kept talking thinking that someone's going to come in any minute and hold my hand and it'll be okay. And because it didn't happen it kind of fueled this anger and frustration again so it kind of just kept mounting and mounting and um, by the time I got support it was because of being in prison and um, the woman Telling me it was okay. Mm. Yeah, Galofaila. <laughs> but I, yeah, so I mean, yeah, all this anger and stuff came out, but then it dissipated so quickly straight after entering prison just because I had people being like, oh, of course, of course, it makes sense, you know? And um, I think that's all I needed as a teenager just to say, have someone say, I understand. With, what was the moment for you in, was it in prison? Where suddenly you've got people who will listen to you? Yeah, suddenly prison just felt like counselling with 50 other women in a ward. It just felt like, oh, 
this is great. Like I had women of color of every single color. Yeah. Um, and I just felt freer. It's, it sounds stupid, but you just suddenly feel freer knowing that you can talk about things and no one's going to judge you. Um, yeah, but of course I was a young, I was a young woman in prison and I think a lot of people saw like this vulnerable foreign kid. Mm. Um, and as soon as I, like someone saw my ex-husband when he came to visit me. He came to visit you? Yeah. What, what, and what did they say when, when he came Oh, they just visit? were like understanding, like, oh, that's your husband. I didn't realize like he's so much older than you. Um, was anyone like, oh, yeah, I totally punched that guy too? Oh, a lot of them were like, even after prison, people would say, what's your husband's address? Like, I'll go down there. <laughs> um, and I was like, no, it's completely fine. For a couple of months after the the, um, he served me divorce papers. I was definitely sure that we might still be good friends. When he uh, he reported me as an illegal immigrant, um, that was when I was like, maybe this isn't going to work out. <laughs> 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 I think uh, my treat him mean, keep him keen isn't working. <laughs> did he remarry? Yeah, he did. Um, he remarried... Uh, he's married to a woman he met in the chat room, the same chat room, um, yeah, she's younger than me, like, I think he's got his happy ending, I'm still waiting for mine, but at the same time, I'm not looking for a happy ending either, like, I sort of feel like comedy was my happy ending, because I get to talk about whatever I want, and people still value it. Eating fried chicken in the shower? Remember, always check for gout. When does comedy come into it? Well, comedy came into it in the waiting room, in prison waiting room. Someone had asked me what I was in there for because I just looked so innocent. And they were like, babe, what are you here for? And I said, well, I tried to kill my husband. And they found it really funny. <laughs> and that's that's your first joke? That like was my that... first gag, yeah. How long after prison did you start doing comedy? Um, when I got deported in 2008, um, I knew that there was something. Because I just thought, I can't, I can't like kind of just wipe this whole three-year thing out of my head. I kept it quiet for ages because I just... I didn't think I was capable of doing it on stage. I still don't think I'm capable of telling the whole story on stage either. Um, and there's a certain roughness in the show as well, an uncomfortable silence in, in it, which I now have to accept as part of the show because anything outside of that would be untrue of who I am as a person. Mm. If I were to deliver the show completely confidently, con confidently and with like slick punchlines, I think it would be... Um, undermining the severity of it and undermining my own struggle with the whole show and thing. Mm. Um, no, I was doing dick jokes for ages before I started talking about dicks. <laughs> <laughs> like you're pretty unique as a specific performer because you, your comedy is based in that awkward space. 
I think Dad's found it quite hard seeing what I talk about in my comedy because it is quite crass. And mm. um, he came to my show, the first, um, the first show in Sydney, and uh, he had to hear the story of like my ex-husband giving me a tow job, and he found it horrifying. So the joke is, I was married to a man 30 years older than me, and he used to do this thing, a tow job. I was sitting on the edge of the bed, and he put his toe in me. I wasn't into it. I just kept thinking, someone's going to walk in and think I've given birth to a full-grown man. Um, and then I ask someone in the audience, which toe was it? And they say... Big toe. Big toe. It has to be the big toe. Because if it's any other toe, it's the whole foot. And I'm not a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any jokes that come close to that kind of graphics? Yes. Me and Mike's husband were having phone sex and... I used a carrot. By the time I'd finished, when I took the carrot out, it, it was fully peeled. So do I want to know how true that joke is? That's very true. <laughs> yeah. I think I lost my virginity to a banana. <laughs> Are there health risks there? There's got to be health oh, risks. Oh, completely. Because then do you have to go to the doctor and lie to your parents, but tell the doctor, look, I'm, I'm pregnant. To a banana. <laughs> I think I'm going to have a bunch. I think I'm going to have a Chiquita. (laughs) (laughs) I had to eat the banana because I couldn't put it back in the fruit bowl. It was like pretty Mm. bruised and gross. So you had had sex and then ate a banana. Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, I could have just thrown the banana away. But But it's supposed to work up an appetite. It's the islander mentality of never wasting (laughs) food. Never waste food. (laughs) Yeah. Had to make uh, a salad after the carrot. I mean, this new Pacific generation. If you yeah. fuck the food, eat the food. Yeah, just a whole lot of ulu going missing. <laughs> Where's your brother? I don't know, but all the ulu's gone. <laughs> and when the sexual practice is like towards the extreme, it makes everything that's less extreme less taboo. Yes. Yes, I definitely think just talking about the grossest thing possible means that you can actually talk a lot about other things because the worst has been said. And you can kind of analyse it. Once the shock value of that thing is gone, you can analyse it and see what parts are actually worth talking about. Like, I think a lot of people got upset with rape jokes because the conversation that was coming out was the important part from that rape joke. It's not the taboo effect I think like sometimes comedy um like older comedy relies on that shock factor but it doesn't own up to the responsibility of if I've brought something taboo up I also need to be aware of the consequences of it yeah and it's empowering as well to see someone talk about rape if they are a person who has overcome it Mm. there's like a real sense of this person is um I think as a woman of colour, as a person who's like had a lot of weird sex stuff happen, like it, it's empowering to, for other women of colour to feel like they can talk about sex. Mm. As an Indian woman, as a Samoan woman, you're kind of told as a young person not to talk about sex, mm. not to be crude, not to be um, a certain way. And 
doing comedy and doing the reverse kind of gives um, hopefully some kind of empowerment to people who see a little bit of themselves in me. Eating fried chicken in the shower, don't get hangry, get chicken. You're at an age now where you become a leader by default in your family. Yes, but I think I always have felt that way anyway. Mum has mental illness um, and she has um, paranoid schizophrenia um, and it, it's recently been diagnosed, like the last maybe five years or so. So I feel like my mental health kind of directly relates to that because I've grown up with a mum who has paranoid schizophrenia, mm. which means that my personality traits come from dealing with a mum whose mental health has not been right. Just before entering the Billy T competition, I had like a, a little bit of a depression where I just felt like crying all the time and mm. I had to go to um, the Green Lane Clinical Centre and ask for help. Um, and I think it all stemmed from my mum's diagnosed with this and I'm kind of realising that all my memories of my childhood are not normal. Mm. Like mum being afraid that someone's trying to steal our car, someone's trying to break our washing machine, all of that constant fear is not something that other people find relatable. Mm. I didn't know how to deal with that. For me, um, when mum was diagnosed, it, it, it kind of made me learn to forgive my mum because the, the, the person who I thought hated me but also loved me wasn't my mum. It was her mental illness. Mm. And it kind of made me try to accept that more. That mental illness makes someone human um, instead of a monster. I guess it's the same thing with those women in prison as well. Like you see them for their human qualities instead of what their offence is. Mm. That's often, I've always think when parents, I know when I've talked about my personal issues on stage, um, sometimes I've given my parents a heads up, sometimes they've found out in reviews. Because mm. <laughs> <Ooh>. yeah. <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't know how to have the conversation. And it's, it's do you guys talk about it now or is it still just a conversation on stage? Oh, it's still a conversation on stage. I I have asked mum if I can talk about her mental illness mm. and um, mum said no. Mm. But when she came to the show, I because um, there's a part in the show where I have to say the reason why I ran away from the from my parents in the first place is because my mum was undiagnosed with a mental illness mm. and um, my dad was always absent and yeah I, I don't have a good relationship with him um, I have to acknowledge it and I think going away from the actual name implies more like if if I tell you that my mum is disturbed. That plays, that that takes your mind to so many places. Mm. But if I say my mum has a mental illness, which is paranoid schizophrenia, it kind of gives you a sense of this isn't a personal opinion. This is a medical fact, and it's um, 
it's not personal at all, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, she came to the show, and I had to say, uh, my mum, I just need you to know that this is a situation which I needed to run away from. And I, I had to say that um, I have a good relationship with my mum, and since her diagnosis, it's made us closer, and I love her. So I have to thank her mental illness as well. The same I have to thank my own for finding positivity in dark places. Like, it's not a rational thought at all. Mum prays every day, and I think she <laughs> thinks that my success is because of her prayers, which I'm happy to say is true as well. Like, I think it is. Of course, <laughs> of course I'm a woman of colour, so someone, some white man is taking credit for my work. Yeah. <laughs> no, please. The one in the sky. Yeah, the, the one in the guy. Yeah, yeah, sky. Yeah. Eating fried chicken in the shower was produced by Charlie Bleakley and presented by me, James Nokise. The engineer is Blair Stagpool. The executive producers are Justin Gregory and Tim Watkin. Subscribe to every episode of this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Radio Public, or at radionz.co.nz slash series. And while you're on Apple, please rate us by clicking on ratings and review, then the stars. But only give us five. It's really simple and means way more to us than it does to you. It's a great way to spread the word and get me more free fried chicken. If you want to share your safe space or comfort food, tweet me at James Nokise. All complaints can be tweeted to RNZ. This podcast is made possible by the RNZ New Zealand On Air Innovation Fund.